The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com events where you can get your tickets. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello there, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Lenehan. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the German Constitutional Court in Karlsruhe published its judgment in a long-standing case on the legality of some aspects of the European Central Bank's bond-buying policy in the years after 2012. The policy had been upheld in the European Court of Justice in Newton, Luxembourg, but the German court disagreed with that European decision, and it stated that the scheme was, in fact, illegal. This has set in train what many analysts see as a constitutional crisis that goes to the very heart of the rule of law in the EU and the legitimacy of that union's institutions. I'm joined to discuss what all that might mean by Ronan McRae, who's Professor of Constitutional and European Law at University College London. Hi, Ronan. How are you? Um, have I, I, I'm kind of out of my depth here. Have I correctly described what the nature of the case is? Yeah, right. Uh, there was a challenge. I mean, there's been a series of challenges by German uh, Eurosceptics, really, uh, over the years to the activities of the ECB. And this is the latest one. And you're right, they, they challenged the bond buying program. It was upheld in Luxembourg. And then the German court has found that this is beyond the powers of the European Central Bank. So yeah, that's about right. And the actual, what, it's, what it relates to is the sort of the, the, what some people thought was the rather belated move by the European Central Bank to essentially initiate quantitative easing around the 2012 to 2013 uh, period when Mario Draghi took over. That's right. So the the issue is that the European Central Bank has control of monetary policy and their duty is to pursue price stability, which is defined as inflation of 2%. Now, they're not in control of fiscal policy or economic policy. So the question is, their bond buying program, they're saying we need to do this to get to the 2% inflation that we're meant to have and monetary stability. But it has impacts on fiscal policy, which is not their area. So the question really is, given that that activity has, uh, the bond buying has impact on fiscal policy, is it fair to, to, for the European Central Bank to pursue it as part of its monetary policy, if that's clear? 
It is. And although to, to some listeners, this may sound a little abstruse, it actually does go to the heart of probably the core debate in Europe at the moment in the in the in the wake of the financial crisis of 10 years ago. And also more recently, of course, now with the, the COVID-19 pandemic and what measures to take there. Can we come back again and again to the instruments which were set up in the Maastricht and Lisbon treaties for the, the, the mon- monetary policy and economic policy and what the connection is? if any, should be between those centrally in the European Union. Yeah, and see, there really is kind of a narrow issue and a broad issue in this case. So the narrow issue is about the ECB's activities. And that is probably easily solvable. But that, I think, is a really outrageous political <clears throat> judging by the German court. Because what the German court is saying is, the European court said, as long as the action is legitimately pursuing monetary policy, that's okay. The German court said, no, the impact on other areas of po- policy is, uh, means that that's, it's too much. It's disproportionate. But what they cited as, they started saying things, you see, at the end of the judgment, they say, well, bond buying might allow countries to, that have, haven't done enough reform to keep borrowing or might keep inefficient businesses afloat. The kind of ordo-liberal German economic talking points. But as I mean, a lot of scholars and commentators have pointed out, well, why just those policy implications? You could also say it has an impact on the environment or anything. This is the German judges don't like the substance of it because they believe in the ordo liberal economic policies and they're therefore saying it's illegal. That is, to me, very naked political judging. The German, the German judges are saying we don't like the policy implications of this, therefore it's illegal. That's the narrative. But it's also, uh, in the narrow case, is an issue of expertise. The German, uh, the German um, judges are saying, we think this might have gone beyond what's necessary to achieve the monetary policy. Now, the ECB are the experts in monetary policy, not German judges. I mean, you see this all the time with barristers and judges, that they, they to do a case, you have to kind of bone up on the essentials of all these different areas of expertise. But lawyers and judges fall into the trap of thinking that this ladybird version that they bone up on for cases makes them equivalent to the actual experts. And here, the actual experts, the European Central Bank, said this is necessary to achieve our our monetary policy goals. And the judges are going, well, we're not sure. Give us more evidence. So I think it's very immodest of the German judges to be second-guessing the ECB. It also provides a way out because if the ECB provides more evidence of the reasons that it pursued this policy, the German court could say, well, now we're happy. However, that doesn't help with the broader issue, which is one of the leading constitutional courts in Europe saying, we are substitute overturning or substituting our root judgment of the limits of ECB powers for that of the European court. And that is going to be hard to reverse because if the German court can do it, the Polish court can do it. And the Hungarian court can do it. And the Hungarian government, Polish government ministers were on the airwaves within hours saying the German constitutional court says that we can overrule um, ECJ decisions when they go beyond their powers. And we agree. And coming down the tracks is a case in Poland where there's a what's called a disciplinary chamber. The Polish government has set up a court that can discipline judges who make decisions that they don't like. The ECJ has been saying... This is not independent. It's not a a court for the purpose of EU law. And I guarantee you the Polish government is going to argue now that any ECJ decision in favour of judicial independence in Poland is not binding. And at the core of this really, I suppose, is the idea that if 
in a European Union, you have a coherent set of, a coherent legal framework, essentially, that that it does have at the apex of it, at the top of it, um, a decision-making body, which is the final arbiter of of these kinds of issues. And in Ireland, we're familiar with our own Supreme Court. Every every nation state has some version of a Supreme Court, which is the final arbiter within its own country. We're also familiar in Ireland, slightly differently, of course, from Germany and some other European countries, with the concept of having to amend our constitution by referendum when we're integrating a new EU treaty in. Is there anything fundamentally different in the German constitution that places this German constitutional court in a different position? Well, there is one big difference is that part of this ruling relates to the, the idea of democracy in the German constitution. So they say it's undemocratic if Germany is on, on the hock for an unlimited amount of debts because this is an independent country has to have control of its finances to some degree. And the problem with that is that the, it's not readily amendable the German constitution to change that decision because the German constitution has an eternity clause that says that the federal and democratic nature of the state is unamendable. So they can't actually change it. And the ruling does rely on that idea of democracy in the German constitution. Now, it's an idea of democracy that's very contested. A lot of people say the German court has this view of democracy that's always just the nation state. And the whole point of the EU is that you can have different forms of governing yourself that are also democratic. But the German court has a very rigid approach to that. And this does not to say the ECJ is flawless because, you know, particularly in its early decades, the court has been pretty um, sympathetic to pro-integration interpretations of the treaty. I think that's that's fair. Probably less less so uh, recently. Um so that, that is, and it's also true that a couple of constitutional courts have been voicing doubts about the primacy of EU law, whether EU law takes precedence always over national law. But what this is very different because this is, um, first, it is ruling on the powers of an EU body. And that they've never, so there's been a Danish case where they didn't really follow the Court of Justice, but that was just in an individual employment law dispute. This is in relation to the activities of an EU body, the European Central Bank. And the Court of Justice has been crystal clear for decades that the legality of EU acts can only be judged by the European Court of Justice. Because otherwise you have this chaotic situation where an EU body's acts are legal in Bulgaria and not legal in Greece and legal in France and not Belgium. So they've always said that. And the German court has gone against that. And there is a big, big state, small state issue here. You know, in the same way as when you know, Ireland voted no to a treaty, we're told to vote again. When France voted no, the treaty is dead. The German Constitutional Court is a super influential court, particularly in Central Europe. So them, they, they directly defying the European Court is a much bigger issue for the, for the Union, I think. Traditionally, these kinds of things in the EU context are resolved by a process of fudge and letting time heal all wounds, and you know, don't don't you know, don't get overexcited about anything, and you know, something will turn out all right in the end. But sometimes that that won't happen. And you, in a piece for the Irish Times, suggested that this was a, a really serious crisis, as serious as the as the as the economic crash of ten years ago and the pandemic we're facing at the moment, and Brexit, I should say, as well. Um, why is that? Well, because. The pre-existing situation was the fudge, where the German Constitutional Court, a couple of the courts were saying, oh, we're not sure that in a very extreme situation, we would always give primacy to EU law. 
And the Court of Justice was saying, you always have to give primacy to EU law. But the situation never arose in a concrete case. And what often happened was the Court of Justice would always say absolutely primacy of EU law in all cases, but then they would adapt EU law to in a way that assuaged the doubts of the national courts. So there was kind of a, a modus vivendi going on where the courts were saying different things, but managing to get along. Here, the German court has broken that. Uh, they have by directly substituting their view for that of the European Court and the legality of a European institution, they've torn up the kind of fudge. And that, you know, it could be the case, if, if, Ger- if, if Germany was the only kind of country with these doubts, it could be the case, it would just muddle through and the ECB would provide some explanations and we'd, we'd move on. But the problem is that the court and the commission are at war with the Polish government and the Hungarian government about the rule of law. And, you know, that kind of muddling along model needed a lot of goodwill on all sides to keep it going. And there is zero goodwill in Warsaw towards the European Commission and the European Court of Justice. They are, I mean, the European Union has failed really badly to deal with the rule of law crisis. The only tool it really has had has been court cases, which, which Poland has up to now complied with. I mean, Poland changed the membership of their Supreme Court. Uh, they put, they tried to get rid of judges and sneak in other ones. And they actually rescinded those appointments when ordered by the European Court of Justice. Will they come into line now with Germany in the same, with Germany in open, rebe- German courts in open rebellion? I, I'm not sure. Interestingly, you think the German courts are doing it in the name of democracy, but actually most German elected politicians seem pretty horrified by the German constitutional court. Even some CDU uh, figures who are quite, hard line on bailing out Southern Europe, were very nervous about it and saying, ooh, I think uh, Schäuble said, ooh, the Constitutional Court has gone too far. Angela Merkel seems to want to find a way around it. But the problem is once the principle is gone, I don't know how we get it back. I've, I've seen it suggested in the wake of this decision that the, the Constitutional Court is, as, as you may be implying um, there as well, is overly sympathetic or overly focused on the traditional um, uh, German conservative position um, of fiscal austerity uh, above all else, and that it doesn't actually reflect the reality of German politics. But I suppose the reality of German politics, which has driven an awful lot of European politics over the last 10 years, isn't it, has been this absolute determination not to get, as they see it, dragged in or sucked in or by some nefarious fashion involved in things like Eurobonds, for for example. That that is, that has been at the core of German political debate over the last decade. Yeah, I think that's, uh, some people have said, look, this might have positive impact, have said that, you know, it's definitely true that the ECB has been at the limit of its powers under the treaty. You know, really, we, we've been, because we haven't done the degree of fiscal and economic integration we need in the Eurozone, we've come kind of dependent on the central bank going to the absolute limits of its powers. And in Germany, the reason we haven't, a lot of the reason we haven't done that fiscal integration is fear in Germany and also the narrative around the Euro in Germany where it has been sold or discussed in Germany for 15 years as if it's some massive charity project, even though Germany actually benefits from it more than almost anybody else. And so some commentators have said, well, maybe this moment of truth, if we can't rely as much on the central bank, will mean that German politicians have to get out there and challenge that narrative of the euro as Germany's charity and start saying the euro is actually 
vital to Germany's economic interest and it might help more. I mean, Angela Merkel has now come on board with these new um, EU bonds, uh, EU, uh, EU uh, debt instrument. So it could mean that the political situation changes because, you know, if the euro does collapse, Germany will be hurt. I mean, the Spanish, I think it was the Spanish finance minister, or foreign minister said to the Dutch after the somewhat a month ago, having a first class cabin won't help you when the ship sinks. You know, it's uh, so they may finally have to start telling the German public the truth, which is that the euro has benefited them immensely. It's not a charity project. Uh, and that perhaps that could be positive. But it strikes me there has always been some legitimacy, though, uh, unpopular, though, it may be in some quarters to say it, from the German fear that, you know, productive tech workers in technology in Dusseldorf or wherever it may be, our taxes are going to go to pay for backhanders in Palermo or wherever they, they, they might end up. And the sense that, the, the I suppose, the structures, the legal structures of the EU as well as the economic structures are not sufficient to prevent that happening. Yeah, and, you know, the fact is, I mean, it's kind of interesting about the European Union to see that the European Union has changed how we feel about each other in Europe. We do feel much closer. You see the Spanish and the Italians were angry at the lack of solidarity in the COVID crisis. So we don't think, oh, these are just foreigners. We do feel a degree of obligation. We don't feel the kind of obligation we feel to our fellow citizens. So, you know, people in Dublin 4 with high incomes are not saying there's no way I'm paying for uh, someone in Leitrim who's on unemployed. They think, well, we're all, we're all Irish, we'll pay for each other. We don't have that degree of solidarity between Bavarian tech entrepreneurs and Greek, uh, Greek unemployed 25-year-olds. They they don't, we don't have that. We have some solidarity, but not enough for that. So the question is, however, out of pure self-interest, is we have lashed ourselves together economically. Getting out of it is a will, will the eurozone will be a complete nightmare. The euro was a political project from the start. It um, it was you know it was intended to be part of a kind of ever closer union project, and the European Union has really run into trouble with that because it's dependent on this idea that European countries are going to keep integrating. The eurozone is a classic example of it. We set up an, a single currency in the expectation that eventually we'll come around to fiscal union. That system doesn't work so well when the, uh, the degree of political opposition to fiscal union is such that it won't happen. Then we're stuck with this kind of halfway house. So I think that is a real issue for the EU. It's, it's built structures that expect integration in the future and that don't work very well if that integration doesn't happen. And that's the situation we're in now. And in that halfway house, and maybe it's just what's happening is that the chickens are coming home to roost, to, to mix my metaphors, in this halfway hen house, that there, there's a rising tide of Euroscepticism in many different countries. Um, I, I read with interest um, a, a column by the occasional Irish Times columnist, Senator Michael McDowell, who as well as being a lawyer is also a former Minister for Justice himself. And he comes out very strongly critical of the critics of the German Constitutional Court decision. I just want to quote something he says. He's talking about the decision and what essentially it implies – 
The EU, they say, he means the court themselves, the EU, they say, is a treaty-based entity. The member states of the EU are, as in any treaty, the masters of the EU treaties. Germany, in participating in the EU and its institutions, has never surrendered to those institutions the power to determine, as a matter of German constitutional law, the meaning of the treaties or to issue decisions or the, as to the capacity or obligation of Germany to be bound by those treaties. Now, what strikes me about that is, I mean, I found it surprising. As I said, he was a he was a minister in an Irish government not too long ago. His his understanding or his description there of the EU is of something closer to the World, Tra- World Trade Organization or some other, as he describes it, treaty-based organization. Whereas I'm not quite sure how to define the EU, but I thought it was a lot more than that. Yeah, I mean, so the EU is not a state, but it is much more than the World Trade Organization because it's, it's, its institutions have much more power to act independently of the states than, say, the WTO. Uh, actually, the German Constitutional Court has come up with a German Staatenverbund where it's a, 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 a kind of union of states rather than a, a state itself. And I think the issue with... I mean, he's right that the, the member states are the masters of the treaty, but the, they're the masters of the treaty in the sense that the member states have absolute power to rewrite the treaty and deprive the EU of power or give it more power. But the German, what the, the European Court of Justice does is it takes the treaty, which the member states have written and given certain powers, and they interpret what that means. And you, if you have an organisation where you have... Uh, shared uh, lawmaking powers and the kind of things the European Union has, you need to have one body empowered to say what that treaty means. And to be fair, the European Court of Justice announced the, uh, that it interpreted the treaty so as to mean that EU law had primacy over national law in 1964. So the member states have rewritten the treaties endless, well, several occasions since then. They've never, they could have amended it to make it clear that was not the case. Every single state that's joined since 1964, which is all of them but six, knew that that was how the treaty was being interpreted when they joined. So they can't suddenly be reaching for the smelling salts like I'm shocked to find out that EU law takes primacy. And it's true that if the Court of Justice makes, gives an interpretation of EU law that a member state can't put up with, that's a political problem that needs to be resolved. But it's not a solution to say that every court in the European Union can start giving its own interpretation of EU law, because uh, that will just cause a disintegration of the EU law, legal order altogether, because you can't have a single market if the rules are being interpreted in 27 different ways in 27 different countries. You need one court that can speak definitively as to what, if, in this case, what are the powers of the European Central Bank to pursue monetary policy? Does it include bond buying? And the European Court of Justice has said, yeah, if, it's, you know, if they're acting legitimately to pursue monetary policy, they have that power. And now this is inviting a situation where you've got 20 different courts saying 20 different things. And I think that that's not sustainable. But is that not ultimately, even if, if one doesn't accept um, Michael Madule's characterization of it, really an outgrowth of the bugs or features or whichever way you prefer to call them that were built into Maastricht and Lisbon, partly to assuage German fears when monetary union came onto the table in the first place, but that now are 
proving insuperable in some ways for us to move to a next stage, whatever that next stage might be. Yes, I mean, and also, I, mean, I think that the EU did a whole load of things in the 1990s, which were based on the idea that we that what was good at the time or looked good at the time was true forever. So you see it in the Eurozone, they said, ah, we'll integrate monetary policy first and we'll have more integration in the future and the system will be better. You also have it in relation to new members. They all said, you have to be a liberal democracy to get in. But they didn't bother coming up with decent tools to um, ensure that if a, if a country was slipped away from liberal democracy, you could do something about it. Because everyone at the time had the end of history view of the world that once you become a liberal democracy, you never go back. So you can see this is a big problem in, um, you see it in putting, I see it in Ireland too, and people want to put everything, every good idea or what seems like a good idea into the constitution. It is pretty risky to to write difficult to amend, to write into difficult to amend legal texts what looks like a really good idea at the moment because we just don't know what the future is going to be like and the European Union is you know had made some mistakes in that regard they were too confident that the future belonged to more integration they're too confident that the future belonged to liberal democracy and I often think of that when you see debates in Ireland about every good idea should be put in the constitution you know public ownership of water neutrality what happens if we find out that actually public ownership of water is a disaster in 20 years and then it's stuck in the constitution, we can't get rid of it or any of these things? I think we, lawyers need to be very humble about what's, what, what's best to achieve legally and what's best to achieve politically. And the EU has relied on law as a way to integrate itself and it's written some very difficult to reverse political positions into its treaties. So the whole restrictions on the ECB activities they are a real problem now, but it's you know because it's so hard to amend the treaties, we're kind of stuck with them. What's the worst that could happen arising out of this decision? I mean, I expect, as I said, lots of fudging going on and years to pass by before there are any consequences. Or are there more immediate dangerous consequences, as you suggested earlier, and particularly in regard to you know the Polish and Hungarian situations? I mean, I think one of the biggest dangers is is a slow disintegration. So we're going to have a there'll be a ruling soon at the court in relation to judicial independence in Poland. The Polish government will, will, is now emboldened to say, no, we're not listening. Then there could be, as the Irish courts have already fell, uh, dealt with this issue, can we continue to enforce Polish judgments if we don't see the judges as independent? Can we send prisoners there for trial? That came before the Irish courts, a case called Chelmer. You could then, there's other, the, the Hungarians will be doing the same. Romania has an issue about the rule of law. So there it probably won't be one dramatic attempt, but it, what it could be is just court after court start saying no in extreme cases to the European court. And then bit by bit, that spreads to more banal things. And the whole, the whole EU system, which is based on mutually enforcing each other's decisions, begins to disintegrate. So it probably, that's a bit by bit. It's probably more a slow disintegration than a kind of one day collapse. And is an important part of why this is so dangerous, the fact that it's Germany, which is the largest and most powerful member of the union. Yeah. And also I remember like I used to, I worked in Hungary on and off for 10 years and, you, you do, and in a university with lots of students from Central Eastern Europe. And if you say to them, oh, what, well, you know, what court does your constitutional court follow most? Or are they set up, to, they'll go, oh, Germany, of course. Yeah, so within, in, in Central Europe, they really, the German constitutional court is very, very influential. So this is going to be, I think, you know, yeah, if this was the, um, 
uh, Luxembourg Supreme Court, people wouldn't be as worried. But the German court is very, very influential. So do I understand what you're saying correctly in that for those who are in favour, let's say, of, of greater integration uh, or greater, a more coherent, you know, overall economic and monetary policy um, centrally operated by, by the EU, that, that that is not best done by further tinkering or amendments to, to treaties, that it's best done in some other fashion? Well, so if you think of uh, one thing they may have is open to them, is called enhanced cooperation. So you can have a thing where uh, a minimum of nine states agree to go uh, ahead in, and the other states don't have to follow them. So we might have, uh, in relation particularly to this new proposal by Macron and Merkel, if the Dutch and the Finns uh, and the Austrians really won't come on board, nine, at minimum of nine states can go ahead and launch, the, the, try and launch more intensive economic integration. Um, that would also put pressure on the Dutch and the Finns there because they won't want to be left out. So there is, the since Lisbon, there is this enhanced cooperation mechanism, which could be one way out of the Eurozone's problems. But as for a way out of this kind of slow disintegration of the European Court of Justice, mm, I'm not sure. I, I don't, I can't see. The only way I can see that is that the political cost the blowback for the German Constitutional Court is such that the judges think again or judges in other countries think, I don't want that hassle. I'm not going to do it myself. That's the only way I can see. I can't see a particularly easy way back because it, it was basically the European Court of Justice and primacy was based on a system of taboo. It was taboo to, break, to, to go directly against the European Court of Justice. Once, and as you know, once taboos are broken, it's quite hard to reinstate them. See what happens, Ronan. Thanks very much indeed for joining us today. Thanks also to Declan Conlon, who produced. Uh, if you'd like to support this podcast and the journalism of the Irish Times, it's very simple. All you have to do is go to irishtimes.com slash subscribe, where you can sign up for the introductory price of one euro for the first month. And if you want to get in touch, you can mail us at politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. But until the next time, thanks very much indeed for listening. Mm-hmm.